As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Reina Cervantes. She is the co-host of the Horror in Session podcast, and you've seen her writing everywhere from Screen Queens, Sci-Fi Fangirls, and Bloody Disgusting. Welcome to the show, Reina. Hi, hello. <laughs> How's it going? It's going fantastic. How about for you guys? I mean, it's a Monday. It's a Monday. You know? <laughs> yeah, like like I said before we started recording, I'm like, I just learned it's a Monday, but I'm doing good. <laughs> that yeah. PlayStation 5 in the y- playing Yakuza has got you all fucked up. <laughs> oh, I have lost all tracks of my days because of this damn device sitting on my shelf. Um, <laughs> but, you know, well worth it. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. 100%. So, Reina, how did you get into horror? <laughs> well, that's a loaded question, but I'll try my best to answer it. <laughs> um, I would say at around seven years old, um, my mother, who's a giant horror fan herself, um, sat me down and she's like, hey, so I'm going to show you this tape that my mother showed me when I was like <laughs> seven years old. Um, and it's a little movie called Halloween. Mm. Um, so, yeah, um, fun fact, the John Carpenter's Halloween was the first horror film I've ever seen. Um, wow. Yeah, kind of from there, I just got hooked and just needed more of it. Like, my grandmother used to take me to the theater all the time to see stuff like Blair Witch and Freddy vs. Jason when I was a kid. So it's just kind of something that's been kind of there since my childhood always. I love that it's like inherited like your grandmother showed me this tape now i must show you this tape like that's so cool i was waiting I love for it that to, it's like, like a multi-generational thing bring out the ring tape or something I like know. <laughs> yeah you're cursed yeah. you must spread it to your kids um, pretty much <laughs> to, like your friends i i pretty much also made the promise to my mother that if i ever somehow have children um 
that I will show them that same VHS tape of Halloween when they are seven years old. I love that. It's like a family heirloom. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Pretty much. It's one of those hologram covers, too, that like it changes from like the jack-o'-lantern to Michael Myers' mask. It's it's wonderful. Oh, that is so cool. I love those lenticulars. You have to keep that forever. That is so cool. Yeah. Do you still watch? You watch horror movies with your mom still, right? Yes. Um. So, so me and my mom do this thing, especially during the pandemic, where we watch a movie like every single night. And um, oh yeah. Lately, it's just been like all these different horror movies. Like this last couple weeks ago, I showed her The Guest, and uh, I showed her Black Christmas 2019. I'll just like keep her in the loop about modern horror, essentially. That's so cool. What does she think about modern horror? The ones that you've shown her. So she loves, loves the work of Mike Flanagan. Um, (laughs) I mean... She's one of us. (laughs) I feel like everyone should. Yeah, she is definitely one of us. Like, we binged Hill House one week, and then we binged Bly Manor the next, and Mm. we binged uh, the director's cut of Doctor Sleep. Like, that is the modern horror she is super into. Good. Cool. That's good. So what were um, a few of your horror favorites growing up? Um, so obviously Halloween, um, aside from that, um, huge fan of Freddy versus Jason, even to this day, um, <laughs> really? I, thi- I think it's a classic of stoner horror. <laughs> uh, Ooh, okay. Yeah. So that's another one I'm huge into, um, all of the Friday the 13th movies. Um, my parents had the original one on tape and I watched that one. And I begged my father to take me to Blockbuster Video to go rent part two. And then every week he would just take me and I would rent like part three and then part four. And that's how I watched the entire Friday the 13th franchise. So you saw them in order. Like, I feel like, especially like living in, in the 80s when when I did, like, you basically watched whatever you could get your hands on. So I, my whole Friday the 13th experience was like out of whack of like seeing him when he had a mask and then seeing him when he didn't have a mask and seeing it, his mom. Like, it was completely out of order. That's that's wild. Excuse me. Wild that you actually got to see it from the very beginning. Yeah. And I think it and I think that was, like, part of my doing because my parents, like, only like the first one for some reason. They're oh, coming yeah. around. They're coming around on part four and six. But um, but I was like, I, I want to see the rest of these. I think the only one I didn't see out of sequence, like, in sequence, I meant, is um, I saw Freddy vs. Jason before I saw the rest of the franchise. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. So then I went back and watched them all in order and fell in love with that series. So, okay, so in Freddy vs. Jason, you root for Jason? Oh, a thousand percent. As far as I'm concerned, that ending he won. Get out of us, Boo. podcast. <laughs> okay, okay. That's the end of this podcast. Can, can, I, can I lay down something about <laughs> Freddy vs. Jason, even though I love it? Um... It is a fantastic Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but a terrible Friday the 13th movie. That is also very true. But I, I love that movie to death because it was kind of my springboard into horror. Huh. That's cool, though. You know what? I love it when people defend, like, because I, I do this with movies, like defending movies that people are like, ew. And you're like, no, I love them forever. You cannot mm-hmm. pry this away from me. I will die on this hill. I'm probably projecting a little bit um, onto that statement, but... <laughs> I actually really like it, minus the 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 use of faggot. I really like that movie, to be honest. 
You know, I also think I get Freddy versus Jason and the Nightmare on Elm Street remake conflated in my head, and I don't know oh, why, yeah. but I think <gasps> I think of the t- I don't I don't know why, but I feel like I get the two of them confused for some reason. And you want to tell me to get out of this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I know I've revealed I've revealed my true shame. <laughs> oh my we gosh, all have our vices. What if we did? a um <laughs> um what what do they call it when like you talk over the movie um oh like a like a riff tracks kind of thing no, a commentary like a, a commentary what if we do a commentary on the nightmare on Elm street remake honestly i would i hate that movie it. so fucking let's much. do it okay cool coming up everyone <laughs> <laughs> we should do that once a month i love doing that shit um anyway <laughs> reina <laughs> Oh, sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm derailed. Um, so, Reina, as an adult, like, what draws you to horror now? Oof, um, another <laughs> loaded question. Gosh, <laughs> you guys ask some real hard stuff, but I'm willing to tackle it head on. <laughs> um, I think what draws me to horror nowadays is I think it's one of the most progressive genres of filmmaking. Um, I feel like it's not afraid to tackle topics that other genres will kind of just tiptoe around or not really address. Um, and to me, that makes it not only more interesting to watch, but also more, more fun to analyze. And also it just makes it like, I, I just, I'm more drawn to it because of that, because it has something to say a lot of the time. Yeah. And I mean, I think because of the, the, um, mercurial nature of the genre, you can talk about things sort of like you were, you were talking about, you can talk about things that you really can't without being with i guess it adds more nuance to it in a way of being able to talk about a subject without maybe diving headfirst into it you can sort of like use it as a metaphor so i agree that's that's kind of what what draws me to horror too um now as an adult but do you still get that that childhood fear watching horror um yes and no um (laughs) I get it from weird movies, like weird movies, like terrify me nowadays with like in the context of like modern horror. Um, like what? Uh, like what? Um, Annihilation terrified mm. me. Um, oh, so, so did her. So did Hereditary. But also full disclosure, I was on edibles when I watched those for the first time. Why Listen, I saw the trailer for Annihilation and I was like, I don't want to see this sober. Um, that's i guess i understand that and then you get to like the very existential parts of it but hereditary i mean i guess no one really knew hereditary what hereditary was truly going to be when the trailers were out yeah and that's once i realized that it was like a family drama about like real family stuff that i was like oh my god this is i i started to get super anxiety and um, yeah, that one was actually the mushroom edible, not the not the marijuana edible. Oh, good god! Oh, Raina. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I can't imagine that. Oh. Yeah, not a great experience. Um, but that that I would say is probably the closest I've come to like childhood fear of like, oh, I need to sleep with the light on tonight. <laughs> and so, what is it? What are some of your uh, favorite horror movies as an adult? Hmm. Let's see. That's another loaded question. Gosh, you guys just <laughs> keep whipping them out one after another. Um, That's what we do. So, really just trying to make you think really hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. so some of my favorite modern day horror movies, um, obviously um, Halloween 2018 is one of them. Um, the Guest is another one. 
Um, so okay, quick quick aside. Do we consider hmm. the Gast a horror movie? Yeah, I do. I yes. Do. Okay. It is. It is pretty much Halloween meets the Terminator. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, okay. that's 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 I watched how I it view recently. It. I watched it recently with Steve, and he was like, "That wasn't really a horror movie." He liked it, but he was like, "That was not really a horror movie." I'm I'm the wrong person to ask because, like, I just if if I, I don't really care, <laughs> so I just like that's true. So, like, that's it's, it's one of those things funny. where, like, I I I, I mean, I, I don't get annoyed, but I think it's kind of silly when people, especially online, are like debating whether a movie is a horror movie or not. I'm like, well, that's if it's a horror enough. movie to you, if it if it induces horror like i think i think the whole premise behind the guest is kind of horrific really Mm -hmm. yeah that's very true i also feel like horror action movies are thought of as like doom and resident evil Mm. like very much like action with horror elements a man with a gun yeah but this feels more like horror with action elements if that if yeah if you want another horror with action elements um overlord love overlord oh yeah that one's good so that's um, a good one. But I would say my favorite modern horror movies, I'm going to give you guys four. Because um, okay. I, could, I could like list them off all day. But my main four are Halloween, The Guest, Ready or Not, mm. and um, Freaky. Yeah. Oh, I still okay. need to see Freaky. I I will not say anything spoilerish at all, but I will say it is one of the best slashers of the modern age. I actually concur with that. With that That's statement. what everyone's saying. When does it come to? When is it? When the can fourth. I watch it? Next Friday. Oh, mm-hmm. fuck yeah! Yep. Okay, cool. So, so very soon. But um, cool. those four in particular are like those tick all the boxes for Reina's list of like horror classics. Cool. Okay, so we talked about like your horror background, but how did you get started as a writer? Gosh, um, I guess Heart, like heavy hitters every single time right now. Come yeah, on. literally <laughs> heavy hitters. Like a, I feel like a punching bag. We don't right fuck now. around. Yeah, we don't fuck around. Tell us about your what life. Makes you tick. <laughs> l- l- listen, I thought you guys were gonna go easy on me because I'm friends with you, but I guess not. <laughs> literally, everyone gets this treatment. So sorry. I guess, I guess I'm honored. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say you don't get it easy. Come on. So I guess what got me into writing was um. Before I got into the writing space, before I even transitioned, honestly, um, full disclosure for people who aren't listening, I am transgender. Um, but before I was a screenwriter and working at AMC, and um, oh shit, no way! Yeah, I have actually written a script and was able to pitch to like some of the producers of La La Land, whole spiel. Um, Whoa! Yeah. Wow. And I then, did not uh, know that about you. That is so cool. Yeah, it's a side of me I don't really talk about. But um, fair enough. <laughs> I'm hope I'm hoping to get back into it um, very That's soon. So cool. But uh, I was a How was What was that like? Oh, you want to talk about the most nerve wracking thing? Pitching a producer is the most yeah. nerve wracking feeling. I would forget how to talk. I'd be like, show good, make it. I uh, <laughs> movies do stuff. Like literally, Boom. it was like our pitch, like me and my co-writer we ha- we rehearsed it like two weeks we mm. had to memorize it like to a I team. mean that makes sense though how mm-hmm. did it go can you not tell us uh, obviously not very good oh <laughs> this was well. back in like 2017 so okay um but uh for, in the meantime i was the manager at amc and i kind of just like viewed i know it's cliche but like oh i view movies differently but like 
compared to my coworkers, like I would always like have this like weird analysis, like on a movie and, um, one of my best friends, she was like, Hey, you should write like reviews or something. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, she's like, I love the way like you talk about movies where you pick up on stuff that like other people don't. So after a while, I just kind of molded over in my head and I kind of just like started pitching sites and eventually they bit. And, um, honestly this year is like the first year where I've like kind of really like got them noticed by like other major outlets. Um, so this is all kind of a new game to me, to be honest, <laughs> but that's kind of how I got into the writing and like film analysis game. Yeah. I mean, it, you, you got to start somewhere and like, I, I mean, I've shit. I mean, in the horror sphere, I've only been doing it for, for two years. So, I mean, yeah, you know, it's just, it's, you start to like pick up steam and before you know it, I mean, gosh, your, your credits are, are really awesome. You've, I was going to say you're for, kick it, you're killing it. Yeah. You've written for Fangoria plus and you've written for bloody disgusting and all of these different places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you were, you were actually pretty detrimental in, in like me springboarding into other outlets. Cause you've hosted a couple of my pieces. De- detrimental. Um, detrimental. Like I don't, I don't. you mean instrumental? Yes, instrumental. Sorry, it's like Terry ruined <laughs> your career. No, I only asked no. I was like, oh, no sorry, <laughs> sorry. Brain broken. Didn't know it was Monday. <laughs> brain, brain smooth. Yeah, Nothing left. Smooth brain. No thoughts. <laughs> smooth but, brain. Uh, but yeah, Terry hosted a couple of my pieces on his site, and uh, that just kind of got like the word out there about me. And eventually, yeah, other outlets just started reaching out. It's been, it's been pretty great though. I'm, I've been super thankful for the opportunities that many sites have given me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I, how I was hoping my site would, would be for other people is they would give a place that someone could have their stuff hosted and seen so that they could springboard off and do stuff. So that's really good to hear. Um, but you also have a podcast, Horror in Session. How did this come up, come about? I do, I do. Um, so Horror in Session, our, basically our elevator pitch is um, we try to be as little gatekeepy as possible. So my co-host, Kayla, who is a wonderful human being, I had actually met her in like the Twitter sphere of like Star Wars fandom. Um, oh, wow. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, like, one day she, like, posted a photo where she was wearing a Halloween shirt. And I was like, oh, you like Halloween? And she's like, yeah. She's like, it's, like, one of two horror movies I've seen. And then she was like, but I'd kind of love to get into horror more. And I was like, oh, hear me out. <laughs> um, So we got to talking. And she's a podcaster herself. She runs a Star Wars podcast. Um, And I just kind of said, would you be down to just kind of, like, view, like, different horror movies that I assign to you. And then we come on each week with like a guest and we just talk about them. And she said, hell yeah, that's perfect. Um, I basically wanted to create something that new and old fans of the genre could listen to. It's, and it, I, I guessed it on it for found footage. Yes. <laughs> what? Wow. Shocking me found footage. And it's, it's kn- a really wait. awesome. Do you know anything at all about found footage, Mary Beth? I just like a tiny bit. I've dabbled. Just a little, just a little, little bit, okay. a little bit. Um, I've seen. The, I saw the Blair Witch Project once. <laughs> listen, listen, that episode is nothing but me and Kayla exposing Mary Beth for like an hour and a half. 
It's embarrassing. Um, but it's a really it is a really awesome podcast because I love that it's like someone who is very familiar and someone who isn't. So it's like people can listen from both camps and love it and enjoy it and not feel like I am lost in all of the references that you're making. So mm-hmm. it's an awesome podcast. <clears throat> yeah, thank you very much. Of course. Okay, so Reina, what movie are we talking about today? We are talking about the great mouse detective. Oh boy, oh yes boy. we are. Yes we are. So <laughs> <laughs> from the creators who brought you the adventure of Aladdin and the excitement of the little mermaid comes a tale of mystery, suspense, and a great big adventure in the great mouse detective. When a beloved toy maker disappears, delightfully wicked. There's only one mouse for the job. That's the Baker Street, my good fellow. Together with his trusty sidekick, he's ready to crack the case. Your father is as good as fun. Miss Flamhammer. Flavisham. Whatever. But only if he can stop a slimy, contemptible sewer rat. Ricky and wicked, of course. The clues are in. Case. The pressure is on. I'm right behind you, Basil. And the adventure is about to begin. To Buckingham Palace. <laughs> Say cheese. Smile, everyone. For the mouse who always gets his man. I thought I'd never find you. Elementary, my dear Dawson. The film Joel Siegel calls magic. And Siskel and Ebert give two thumbs up. Disney's animated classic, The Great Mouse Detective. Miss Flanchester. Flavisham. Whatever. Um... So, The Great Mouse Detective is a 1986 Disney movie based on the children's book <clears throat> book series Basil of Basil of Baker Street. The Great Mouse Detective is about the mouse version of Sherlock Holmes who discovers a dastardly ploy when a toy maker is kidnapped. It sounds so fucking cheesy when you say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Reina <laughs> tell us tell us the story of when you first saw this movie, what scared you about it, what were like the repercussions afterward? Tell paint us a beautiful, horrific picture. So so I had seen this movie around the same time that I had seen Halloween, maybe like a year or two before, and this movie terrified me and Halloween didn't. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, as a kid, I was scared of what I felt like were the dumbest things. Um but <laughs> going back and watching this movie it's this movie is terrifying from the jump like it opens with a kidnapping scene yeah and the whole scene feels structured like a horror movie Mm -hmm. it really does but so reyna like what about it scared you as a kid gosh well one one the movie as a whole the art style is like very dark and grim and everything's like shrouded in the shadows of like unknown unknowingness um, going back to the opening scene alone with it being structured like a horror movie um, where she's like peeking out from the cabinet that she's hiding in. So what what terrified me about this movie, honestly, like right from the jump is um, the art style. It's very dark, grim. Everything's like hidden in the shadows, like of unknowingness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then wrapping around back to the opening scene where she's like hiding in the cabinet and peeking out from the doors, witnessing this like kind of really violent kidnapping take place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, 
it's just kind of like really like ingrained in my mind and as a kid just absolutely terrified me um i i love the scene i love the way i I noticed it really as an adult how how the scene is filmed where you have like this sort of serene scene happening where the dad the dad's giving his daughter a a birthday gift and then it's outside it's it's kind of stormy and there's like a peg leg bat like shalumping through the street and he's like having he has his giggle that's like maniacal at the same time as like as being like it's almost silly but at the same time maniacal but then you have like the rattling doorknob the banging door hiding the daughter the windows bursting open and the screen is filled with this bat Mm -hmm. it's like it's it's so well structured and like you talked about this is it's a very violent kidnapping but it's all done in shadows like everything is is you see it from her perspective but you just see the shadows on the wall of like the bat grabbing him and it's 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 kind of it's very horrific it is Mm -hmm. and i think that's what half of the stuff that i find horrific in this movie is like the fear of the unknown like what i'm not seeing is terrifying me more than what i'm actually seeing i mean that makes sense and i think the movie does capitalize that on on that a lot with like a lot of the the violence is always um done in, in shadows so you're just either seeing the kind of beginning of it or you're seeing everything play out as like a as a shadow on the wall like it was just like so much trying to be a kids movie when it's like it was like it was trying to be an adult movie but like for kids you know what I mean like there's at one point there's a bar fight where people are throwing knives at each other and like beating <laughs> each other up and drinking and like getting wasted. Our, our hero gets a gun shot at him. Oh yeah, that's right. There's a gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's definitely like almost not a kids movie. Yeah, like, it's. It's only because it, they're mice, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. and I think it's that weird era where, like, Disney wasn't doing kids' movies. They were doing family movies. And mm. I think this, like, 100% falls into that category, like, very firmly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've, we've talked about this a little bit on the show where you, you had, like, Return to Oz, where it was basically, like, Disney taking an adult theme and presenting it as a family film. So you had like Return to Oz being this very kind of creepy post-apocalyptic thing. And you had the 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 um, Dark Cauldron or the Black Cauldron being like this sort of like dark fantasy thing that was really popular at that time um, as a kid's movie. Or you had like uh, um, even like the live action with, um, gosh, what is that movie called that we talked about with Chelsea earlier this year? Why am I drawing a blank? The one about oh, Watcher in the Woods. Watcher in the Woods is like this folk <laughs> horror movie that's like set for like it takes those sort of like adult themes of folk horror and presents them as a kid. So I think this was like really popular for what for what Disney was doing at that time. Yeah, and it's it, to me it's also very interesting. I don't think I caught on to this because I first saw this when I was very young. Like this is one of my all time favorite Disney movies. I love this movie so much. <clears throat> uh, I think it's because of uh, the ca- character of Basil, which we'll talk about later. But I was just like, ah, this was one of the movies I watched on repeat, and I hadn't watched it since I was a kid, and so. I picked up on a lot of things that we'll discuss, but also mm-hmm. I didn't really pick up on the Sherlock Holmes aspect as much. Like when I was a kid, I didn't know who Sherlock Holmes was, mm-hmm. but like Jesus, like could they be? <laughs> could they just be like any more obvious that it is a Sherlock, a Sherlock Holmes parallel? E- e- even to the point that he lives in Sherlock Holmes's house. But I also have like a couple questions about that in terms of logistics, like <laughs> <laughs> like when Dawson shows up at that one place. 
the mouse and the guy. Mm-hmm. Like, do they just shadow each other forever? Like, is it like your shadow? I, don't know. I thought I thought entirely too hard about a movie that has like no stakes. But I was like, wait, no, no, I thought what? too because like Dawson brings up how he was like in Afghanistan, and I was like, what was he there for? Like he was doing the mouse, mouse, you never mouse, heard about the mouse wars, mouse surgery, and I. The Mouse Wars. Uh, no. The Mouse Wars of the 80s? You never heard I, about I, those? I, I need a prequel <laughs> focusing on this. <laughs> we broke Mary but Beth. I mean, just like I'm imagining little mice with like... Bayonettas Bayonettas, and stuff. but like underneath... Ba- bayonets? Like, oh, yeah, put bayonets. <laughs> Bayonetta the video game character? <laughs> yes, there are many witches with... Whose hair is their armor? And I 100% just went with it. I was like, Bayonetta. They're they're fighting in the mouse wars with Bayonetta hair. Oh my god. But, yeah, I guess that was just, like, something I'd thought about this time. And again, probably was just to be like, hey, look, look, the parallels between Sherlock Holmes and Basil. But I was just like, good god. I mean, it is is based on on that children's series, which was, like, a kid series for... For, pe- for it was basically like a Sherlock Holmes kid series, so it was it was basically like what this this movie was. But what was interesting was that they originally were going to call it um, Basil of Baker Street, but th- but when Black Cauldron flopped and all of a sudden Katzenberg and Eisner were ha- were hired to do run Disney. They were not happy with this movie. They weren't happy with the pacing. They weren't happy with the budget. So they slashed it all. They slashed the budget. They moved it up from being a Christmas 87 movie to a July 86 movie. They, like, did everything they possibly could to basically, like, sink this movie, what, it feels what, like. What's what's crazy, though, is that the creative team behind this went on to do The Little Mermaid and then kicked off the Disney renaissance. Right. Well, this movie was not a flop when it was released. It, it made decent money. Yeah. Um, Especially compared to uh, the Black Cauldron, which was a flop. Um, but what's what's funny is when I was digging into kind of the history of this movie, uh, after the film was retitled to the Great Mouse Detective to be more um, amenable to the U.S. audience, I guess the animators started like doing an inner office memo, changing the names of pre- uh, preceding Disney films to give them generic titles. So they had one that was Seven Little Men Help a Girl. <laughs> <laughs> And the wonderful elephant who could really fly. Oh my god, I love that. I need a custom my favorite, case with that. My favorite is two dogs fall in love. Oh, that's so cute, though. <laughs> what, would, what would Pinocchio be? Because if I'm being real, that's that's my favorite Disney movie. It would be like Little Wooden Boy Who Lies. Let's see. Did, what did they? I'm trying to think of... Cause I, there's a whole list of them. Oh, there was the, I need this list. It's fantastic. The little, the, the little deer who grew up... <laughs> The girl with the see-through shoes, puppies, <laughs> puppies taken away, which no. is Dalmatians, yeah. a boy, a bear, and a black cat. <laughs> wow, that was. I took me a second to think about what that was. Uh, oh. Yeah, those those are the those are the ones that are on the Wikipedia page. Um, but Amazing. yeah, so like this was this was almost like the mo- the little the little movie that could, mm-hmm. which so, is very interesting to me. But Terry, what were you gonna say? Um, I was just, how old were you? I, did, did you say how old you were when you saw this movie? I want to say I was either five or six years old. I was very young. Okay. Um, and so was it was it just the, like the animation, the opening scene, or was it the, the movie as a whole? What about it, other than what you've talked about, scared you? Uh, I think it was just the movie as a whole. Like, even mm-hmm. to this day, I find this movie exceptionally dark. 
like I said, um, the art style, like the scene also where they go into the toy store and like, <gasps> that's like, the scene that freaked me out as yeah. a kid. And when I started watching it, I had like flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Like Ugh. there's that. There's like the robot of the queen that's like super terrifying, especially when yes! it's like the skeleton pieces of it. It's mm-hmm. um, the cat that eats the drunk mouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Another scene that's done in shadow that that whole shadow yes. thing. Yeah, where you're basically seeing, and it's left up to the, your imagination to see. Oh God, what just happened? Yeah, so that's what to me is like. Oh, the opening scene's terrifying because of that, and then like you watch it and you're like, oh no, they do that the entire movie. That's exceptionally horrifying. Well, I think they did a really good job of sort of nailing that feel of like Victorian England with like that you'd see like you could imagine (laughs) a Jack the Ripper mouse just hiding in the city. Like I would watch the shit out of that movie. (laughs) They could have done a sequel where Basil hunts down a Jack the Ripper mouse. That Hmm. would have been I'm I'm thinking about it now. I love this. (laughs) We'll pitch it to Disney. There you go. Disney. Hear me out. <laughs> um so but so when you watched the movie it scared you did it scare you after you saw the movie you know some movies kind of linger or what was it just one of those as you were watching it type things I think this was like more of like it terrified me as I watched it and as a kid I kind of strayed mm-hmm. away from it but then every time that I would attempt to rewatch it I'd be like oh yeah no I'm I'm like afraid to even like watch this movie like I I give myself chills as I'm watching it Mm. Um, a curse videotape almost yeah yeah i think it was um, my mother said when i was a kid um that she would open the cabinet and i would see the movie sitting in there and i would run Um, yeah she said the only two movies i ever did that with were like great mouse detective and batman returns (laughs) the range yeah, so wow. you know, like I said, I was I was scared of dumb things as a kid. <laughs> no, but like it is so fascinating about what scares us as kids and what doesn't. Like a lot of these animated movies scared us, but like I I don't know. It is just like fascinating to see like how certain things scare us as kids and they like really activate our imaginations while other things are like because eh. I feel like animation really taps into like a part of a young brain. Where it's like, oh shit, anything can happen. At least that's like my kind of experience and thinking about that. So it's like realizing things that you could never really think of and, and putting it in front of you. And, and I think that's what it was, is that while mm-hmm. I was watching it, I was scaring myself. Um, like I was making it out like it was scarier than it actually was. I was mm-hmm. like, oh no, like like these mice are dying. This there's this violent bat beating the hell out of somebody and kidnapping them. Look, as someone who saw Watership Down and threw up, I get it. Oh man, <laughs> I watched well, Watership I Down think... and threw up. It was awful. That movie is terrible. It scared me chitless. Anyway, <laughs> I also think though that um, there's something about animation where I think, especially if you are a kid and you've grown up watching animation, it's sort of like disarms you when movies are scary because you you go in expecting one thing and then when the movie is not that because mm-hmm. it does include these kind of horrific scenes or the way it's 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 designed or the way it's animated i think that it can kind of disarm you into being oh gosh i was not expecting it to be this way and then because of that you're off kilter the rest of the the and, viewing experience yeah i think true. that's i think that's right on the money with me because before this um I was super into Disney animated movies as a kid. Um, my mm-hmm. two favorites were always Pinocchio and The Little Mermaid. 
and then my mom would just keep buying me uh, Disney tapes as a young child. And then this one out of nowhere, it like threw me for a loop, I think, as a child. Well, yeah. it's also like very queer. It is. Uh, put, a, put, a, <laughs> put a put a pin, a, in, that? pin in that okay. for one second. Okay, cool. um, <laughs> so you you were talking about Mary Beth um, the the uh, the toy the toy room scene being scary. Is that what is that what you remember about this movie the most? Or what? yeah, so what I remember about this movie the most <clears throat> was the introduction to Basil when like he comes into his his house for the first time again we'll talk about that later and then i also remember the toy scene because i remember being so freaked out by the really tall dolls but then also Mm. it's i think it's like at the very end of that scene where there's a dog like mama mama over and over again and that particularly freaked me out and that and all of them coming to life and moving at the same <gasps> oh, time. Oh my! Like, I, I, yeah. I wanted to touch upon the whole mama scene where, like, it's like the carriage that's like being rocked, and she looks in, and it's the bat, and he like grabs her. Yes. Mm-hmm. It just like I mean, speaking of just like being children and watching it, it just it takes that like world of a toy store and makes it absolutely a house of horrors, especially because they're in. Like the human toy store, not the mouse toy store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so-, so it's like everything is huge. And so everything is like put on this ridiculous scale. And it seems so terrifying. Like, oh, that doll is so much bigger than a mouse. So it's absolutely like, holy shit, that's awful. And like everything is just very big and very shat. Like, and that again, to the animation style, shadowy. And again, toy stores are thought of like as these bright, bright colors, bright places. And this one was dark and awful, and then all of the uh, soldiers without their uniforms were very disarming, and it was just, like, it took everything that you love about a toy store as a kid and made it, like, perverse, almost. You know, I was just starting to think, as you were talking about this, that the the this movie does a really good thing with um, sense of scale. Yes! Where, because, like, I, the two scenes that, that um, are sticking in my mind, one you just talked about, is when the bat lunges out of the, the, um, the crib, and his face, again, fills the screen. He does it there. He does it in the beginning when he's breaking through the glass. Yes. Like, all of a sudden, he is larger than life. He is screen-fillingly big, even though he's such a small creature. And, and the movie plays with that very well. And they do that a lot with Radigan, too, which, mm-hmm. oh, we'll talk a lot about Radigan. But, like, the sc- the, they do, like, scale is such a big part of the fear in this movie i think um at well, least from like my as, experience watching it even as going into the the the, the climax with the, yes! the tower and all the gears are ginormous and it's like oh, boy, the, yeah. the idea of like the small thing it does a really good job of putting you in the the shoes of these small rodents and then seeing what what the big world around them is actually can do to them Terry, how old were you when you saw this movie? So, gosh, when did this come out? 86. So I I saw it when it came out on VHS. So I probably was like six or seven when I saw it, is what I'm guessing. Okay. What did you think of it? Did you have any like memories of it? Or was it just like another animated movie you saw as a kid? Um, it, for, as a kid, I... I remember, I remember really liking it. I was never scared by this movie, mm-hmm. um, but I really, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those movies that I have not seen since I was a kid, and I wore out the VHS tape. But like watching it again as an adult, a lot of things started coming back to me. <laughs> like I remember 
always wanting to have a fresh cheese, cr- a fresh cheese crumpet. Oh my god! All I could, all I could think about was like how much I wanted a cheddar, a cheddar bay biscuit from Red Lobster because that's like the equivalent <laughs> in my head of like <laughs> those, those crumpets. Or well, and I also wonder if I might have been insufferable as a kid because I would get lines from movies in my head and I would find ways to bring them up in conversation. <laughs> and I forgot that this line was in this movie, but like I used to say all the time and saying that I needed some place to go because it was introspective and I want to introspect. Like that line for some reason was like something that I would shout all the time and be like, I'm going to go to my room because it's introspective and I want to introspect. I had no fucking idea what those words meant. My God. But it sounded fancy and it sounded smart. So little Terry was just running around saying that fucking line. I love it. And I also I, I love it. realized that I probably should have known that I was gay after watching this movie because <laughs> I would sing. Sorry. I just, I, this is the movie. <laughs> well, I remember I would I would be in my room and I, I knew all the words and all the lyrics to let me be good to you. And I would be running around <gasps> singing this song, not knowing and I one iota of what it was about, but I would be singing the song. Okay, oh. so now that we you brought it up, we should talk about that scene. But the fact that you as a child knew every single word, and that's amazing. It's, it's well, I those... kind of wonder if Miss Kitty was my first diva love. <gasps> Is she your first drag queen love? I mean, she's not a drag queen, obviously, but... For those of you who haven't seen The Great Mouse Detective, there is a scene in a seedy-ass bar where there is a burlesque performance with a very... Yep beautiful white mouse singing a song about how sad the lower like working class people are and how she wants to be good to them and she takes off her clothes and is where like has boobs and an ass and is wearing like a corset and a garter belt and is like shaking her ass around and she's got two women next to her that are like can can dancers and it is just like this is the scene that I always think about when I think of this movie, though, because it's just like it's absolutely baffling. Well, and here are some choice lyrics. Hey, fellas, the time is right. Get ready. Tonight's the night. Boys, what you're hoping for will come true. Let me be good to you. Hello. Oh, no. Like the whole I mean, it's just like. I just, so dream on and drink your beer. Get cozy. Your baby's here. You won't be misunderstood. Let me be good to you. I mean, I'm gonna put that as my as my grinder bio. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but like, that's the thing about it is just like some of the things you can kind of like, okay, whatever. It's a kids movie. Like they'll go over their head a little bit. But this is like straight up like um, men wrote this song <laughs> and drew this character, and we're like, yeah, okay, we'll have a burlesque and she, mouse. And and she's drawn shapely too. Mm-hmm. Like she's got curves and titties. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 super baffling. It's so um, bizarre. And then and 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 I was doing like research on it, and I think I sent it to you. Where the like their justification for like getting away with that was like she can't be sexy because she is a mouse. But like the entire movie <laughs> is basically like, people, but with like as mice. Like it's not it's not like they're running around on all fours and not dressing up like people. They're like humanoid. It's it's unsettling because you're almost like, oh, this is like kind of a sexy scene, but it's also a mouse in a seedy like pub that's inside of a barrel. Yes, it's just like it's so weirdly horny. And 
Yes. This and this well this whole scene in the bar is like so adult to me because it's like they walk in and everyone's got like a knife or they're gambling and they're all drinking and you know whatever and then he gets drugged and the bar <laughs> fight breaks out there's a burlesque performance Basil gets shot at gets shot at like with a gun Yeah also tiny mouse guns like, like yeah, tiny mouse guns exist in this well, universe. How else are they going to fight the, the mouse war of the 80s? <laughs> well, and also, like... Bayonetta gave them the mouse guns. <laughs> but, like, even thinking about the scale, again, like, they spend a lot of time, like, showing you the whole bar, like, in absolute chaos. Like, more than I would expect for a kid's movie. Like, it's just a full-on bar brawl. It is just... It's it's, it's it's one of the standout moments of the movie. It really is. It's such a weird choice. <laughs> like, it just seems like their animators were like, let's just put something, a little something in for the adults. I, but instead of a little I, something, it's like a huge set piece. I, I, I think it really sells the idea that the world that they're in is like a living, breathing world. True. That's true. Because they do kind of establish that like class dynamic with the mice, which is really mm-hmm. interesting. And like... It does reflect, I think, like, you know, the people that work on docks and are like are working class people and the kind of bars yeah. they might frequent. Because rather than be like, oh, one or two locations where the set pieces take, it's like, we're going to take you to the bar where the boots on the ground type mice are. Yeah. Getting drunk and watching dancers. Okay, so can we talk about Radigan, please? Oh, my God. My muscle I daddy. I just like, I... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, no. I love it. <laughs> okay, first of all, just like to start off, Vincent Price is the voice of Radigan. I did I know, not know I that until it. yesterday or the day before. Once again, uh, crossing over with the horror genre. Right? Okay. Uh, and so Misu agrees. Yeah, Misu is like, I want yeah. to talk about fucking Great Mouse Detective. Um, <laughs> he is. <laughs> Tag me in, Mom. I'm ready. Like. Someone else talk. I can't even make words right now about Radigan. You know, the thing is, is that he's introduced with his own sense of like a burlesque performance. And it's staged like a burlesque show, even though he doesn't get as, as naked as, as poor Miss Kitty does. Um, which, again, Miss Kitty. Um, is her name really hmm. Miss Kitty? It is. Oh, for it fuck's sake. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's what jumped out at me is is... So he has this garish throne. He has like this red carpet leading to it. He stands there. He has this fawning group of of, of thugs, men who are like fighting over each other to light his cigarette. Like he puts out his his cigarette, and it's like a scene from a movie where the the hot yes! you know burlesque singer is like sitting there, and she like boys and like holds out her like cigarette, and some and everyone like lump leaps to like light it. All of his men do that, and then he's strutting his stuff. He's flouncing down the red carpet. A spotlight shines on him. He's prancing. He's twirling. He plays the harp. It's it's like it's a burlesque performance there for his adoring male audience. And he's a champagne fountain. Which I love. Which I love. And it is like, and there are so few music numbers in this movie. Like there aren't, it, this is not like a musical, but the two, there's three, the three, I think in my head, there's three like musical moments. There's mm-hmm. Radigan, mm-hmm. which is all about him and everyone is singing his name. And it's like, and then when they call him a rat, it's automatically like, 
over. Record, Record scratch. scratch. <laughs> and then there's the I'll Be Good to You. Mm-hmm. And then there's... There's wh- the other love song where Radigan is, is talking about yeah, so the, you followed when, me, when Rad- I followed when you. When Radigan plays the record at the end, which, like, okay, that is also very, like, to me, like, very clear and, like, to be like, I'm gonna write a song about our, like, obsession with each other and press it on oh. a vinyl and then play it. Like, it's so, like, over They're the top and, and campy. Yes, they totally are. And, like, that's the dynamic in a lot of Sherlock Holmes stories, but this one, like, really played into that. Like, that's what I love about it. It's like, no, we're just gonna really throw ourselves into this, like, obsessive, weird, kind of, like, gay relationship between these two ma- these two men, my- mice, male mice. I don't know. What what I don't think a lot of people realize is like at the beginning it's established by Basil that he's been hunting him down oh, yeah. for like quite he's some got time. A picture of him framed in his house, and it's like not even like a mug shot; it's like a, gl- a glamour shot of of mm-hmm. um, Radigan wearing his like top hat. And Radigan yes. has, has a doll of him in his yes. in his lair. So so like people like to talk about like oh Batman and the Joker can't exist one without the other. It's like no, Basil and Radigan can't exist one without the other. I just I think I love Radigan. Like I know he's a bad character, but like he reminds me a little bit of the bad guy in Pocahontas. I can't remember his name, but he has the pug and he wears a lot of purple. And mm-hmm. like I, I- the flamboyant, like, I guess, and this is, like, I was thinking about this, because I know it's not necessarily, like, a new thing to talk about like, Disney villain, Disney villains being, like, more flamboyant or queer-coded, but, like, Radigan is not talked about enough in terms no, of, like, not. queer-coded, flamboyant, kind of, like, self-obsessed villains who you kind of want to hang out with. It's it's Vincent Price having the time of his life. Seriously, he is having a time of his fucking life. And it's also interesting and talking about like class dynamics and like I mean, I guess what should I call it racism or speciesism when he's called a rat and and every time he's called a rat, he absolutely loses his mind. Like his true identity, mm-hmm. like he will not identify with his It's like a slur. Yes, exactly. Almost. And like but then at the very end when they have that really epic fight at the clock tower, he turns into what he hates. Like he yeah. becomes a terrifying rat and scare quotes. Like he has the claws, his suit rips. Like he just, his eyes turn, I think he goes running on all fours. Yes, his eyes turn He's red and yellow. Him. Like he just completely loses like this idea of class that he has like worked so hard to establish for himself and loses control and, taps into like i say animalistic if he's not an animal but really it is an animalistic side and so <laughs> it is such like a fascinating transformation and a, like a kind of look at trying to make yourself better in the eyes of the world and like make yourself upper class but you're still living in the sewers and like wanting to rise up and wanting to be something better but not being able to i don't i i thought <laughs> way too hard about radigan i love him i think he is like real cool anyway <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he has a delicious cat. I love his cat. He's, I mean, Radigan sucks. I know. I'm just saying, like, he's fascin- He's more fascinating to me than I ever would have, re- re- than I ever remembered. That that part where he just rings the bell and the cat comes and, like, eats that mouse that called him a rat. And is, he's so like, in love a- with his cat. The cat, uh, and the cat's yeah. got a bow. And she's, like, a fancy cat, too. Like, she's, like, a fluffy, chubby, like, happy cat. She's such a gay man's Very cat. Very prim and proper. <laughs> 
She's such a gay man's cat. I'm telling she you. She is a gay man's cat. And I love it. And then talking about like Basil and Radigan. So let's talk about Basil. Okay. This is where <laughs> I fangirl out. Um, to me, Basil is like one of the greatest like Disney protagonists like ever. Okay. T- tell um, us more. Tell us more. I, 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 I absolutely love him. I think he is a deconstruction of like toxic masculinity. Like, sure, he puts on like this hard exterior, but he's empathetic when he needs to be. Like, um, like he shows a soft side. Like, he takes on this job to look for this girl's father when, like, very adamantly at first, he's like, no, get out of here. But then he sees like the way it's affecting her and he breaks down and he's like, you know what? I'll do this. Like, just for you like i don't care um to me that's a very interesting dynamic he has well i I was just going to add on to that that it also i love i love it's it's a comedic scene but it's the moment where he's like he's like okay we've taken this case and we're gonna go but you little girl are gonna stay here and in the next scene she's pushing open the the little hole with him and (laughs) it's like this little funny like like he can't he can't say no to her but also, there's a really sweet dynamic between him and Dawson. And I know that's supposed to mirror the relationship between Sherlock and um, Watson. Watson. But they're... They're genuinely friends. They are. And like, they just met. But there's this, like, really... And maybe more. <laughs> but there's this, like, really <laughs> sweet friendship between them. Like, they burst in and he's very much like, oh, hi, what's up? Like, let's do an experiment. Like, here, hold this gun for me. And at the very end, when Dawson's about to leave, he's like, you're my associate. And again you know lovers but also i think there is this like genuine friendship that's that blossoms really quickly between them and i think it's really an interesting contrast to the hatred that him and radigan share and there's this like instant click of friendship with him and um dawson and and no matter the situations that basil gets him and his company in uh, at the end of the day like he may seem like he's brash but he's got a genuine like good head on his shoulders yeah. I mean, obviously, he's supposed to be Sherlock Holmes, and that's the entire, like, elevator pitch of that character. But, like, it genuinely comes all, comes across as that way throughout the course of the movie. Yeah. I I think, for one thing, I think Basil has a daddy fetish. Um, <laughs> because he, I honestly, I honestly think that Basil and Radigan were lovers before this happened. And they theirs was a very, like antagonistic um trying to one-upsmanship kind of romance as a lot of unfortunately gay people on on twitter seem to be i think this was like (laughs) about two petty gay boys trying to outshine each other it's like gay social media before it existed um (laughs) but like i think that that they have that sort of like that that impress each other and one-upmanship and it's by vanquishing this and and finally getting this evil ex out of his his um life that he is able to see the daddy standing in front of him and that is dawson this is a great reading i would like to read a whole i'm going to keep I, telling you to pitch these articles until you do because like i i, I yeah love i love this take on this movie so much because like at the very end at the very end of the movie and this is what really kind of popped popped into my mind it's like dawson says perhaps i best find my own living quarters he says a living quarters. And then all of a sudden, like, 
Basil's like, well, what if you stay with us? What if you stay here with me? And then the the epilogue is, from that time on, we were a close team. And over the years, we had many cases together. And it was he's talking about how he always looked fondly back at this case because it was his introduction to Basil of Baker Street, the love of his life. That last part added by me. But I think it's implied. I think it's headcanon now. <laughs> I mean, for sure. but like also, yeah, it's about the case, but it's definitely the meeting for the first time. It's their like, it's their meet cute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. After after Basil's gone out of a horrible relationship, guys, this is the best wow. fucking reading of this movie. Um, also, just like to I add in, I was definitely um, sexually attracted to Basil the Mouse. Oh, me too, a hundred percent. I'm glad we're all me on the same too. page. Here. <laughs> We're all in agreement. <laughs> I, I think he I think he joins the ranks of Robin Hood and um, Justin the Rat. It's really honestly. weird that Disney was able to make m- many sexy animal characters. It's weird. Well, just look at just look at Miss Kitty. Miss Kitty. No, I'm <laughs> I mean, yeah. That was probably more intentional than like, oh, the kids are gonna fall in love with Basil. I think it was his accent and also just like his swag. I love how yeah, I love just how brash he is. Like the way he goes like What's what, he? He doesn't yell Eureka, but like when he figures out something, and he just like screams it to the sky. It's like I love it so much. He just like has this energy that I vibe with. I think I'll tell you the moment that that still even did it for me is when he he enters the burlesque house and he's dressed up as like I don't know a dock worker, and the way he like enters the room talking about his energy just sort of opens the door and he's standing there with like this this look this suave look and his eyes are just like that kind of like sultry like yeah i'm here let's see some miss kitty (laughs) this is probably the most anyone has discussed basil as a sex as a sex as like a sex object and you know what i'm here for it (laughs) (laughs) it's i i I genuinely wonder how they're gonna do the live action oh my god wait (laughs) wait what Yes. I forgot about this. Raina and I were talking about this on Twitter, and I totally. Are you kidding me? They're making a live action or a animated like CGI Appar- one. Apparently, I... apparently, it's in production. I'm so oh, bad because uh... it's just. What? Are... Wow. Are... <laughs> live action burlesque mouse. But like the movie is not that long either. So like if you cut out that scene, you're cutting so out short. a very good portion of the movie. And so like mm-hmm. also. Vincent Price isn't going to be rad again, which is like very disappointing because I just don't know who they could get. So I don't know. I think it's going to be a mess. I think, as with most of those live action adaptations, it's like, what? This just like, well, especially because like this one, like Lion King, they're actually animals. Like in Jungle Book, they're actually animals. But in The Great Mouse Detective, they're basically people. It's not like they're animals like running around on all fours. Like it is a, it is a mouse. And mice, mice dressed up as humans. Like it's not as easy to me, I think, to like have that disconnect. The only thing that I could think that they could even possibly do is like if they do like Dumbo and like heavily alter the story so where it's almost its own thing. Ew! Um, don't. <laughs> I I can't I can't see them doing it any other way. Yeah. But yeah, I would not be on board with that. I also forgot obviously. about live action Dumbo. Jesus, I've not seen the live action Dumbo. It's 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 not horrible. It's not great either. It's like Colin Farrell plays a sexy one armed clown. 
<laughs> no, I'm, I'm not making that up. No, I I'm know. It's just like funny. Like, oh, sexy one-armed clown. Like, I, just specific thing. I don't know. It's just amazing. I was I was putting up the poster at AMC because I, I did marketing there. And, like, I saw Colin Farone's wearing the clown makeup. And I'm like, oh, no. He's still hot. <laughs> Even with the clown makeup on. Yeah. Oh, my God. But sorry for that tangent. No, it's very good. We're all about what the other thing that is like traditionally Disney in this movie, though, is the cat and dog debate. <gasps> okay, thank you so mm, okay. much for bringing this up because I was thinking the same thing. I was like, where did this start? Like, who decided that cats and dogs were like mortal enemies? Well, and that dogs equal good, loyal, and dumb, and cats are smart, diabolical, and evil. I mean, uh, probably Tom and Jerry. Oh yeah, because hmm. the, the, the two cat the, the two cats I have um, dumb <laughs> <laughs> smooth brain smooth brain one brain cell love them so they're to Tobies pieces. they're Tobies like they're so sweet and I it's so funny I talk about this all the time now with cats I'm like who saw a cat and was like they are diabolical and intelligent I'm like what? the cats are not smart like they can be there are very intelligent cats but it's just funny that. But but was Disney biased towards dogs because they did stuff like the Aristocats? Um, they that's, gave cats their that's own movie. True. I mean, yeah, um, but like I think in the history of of Disney movies, I mean, you have like Lady and the Tramp, where the Siamese cats are are little hellions, yeah, and that's a, I mean, that's a whole other. <laughs> That's a whole other like <laughs> barrel of, of worms that I don't want to really dive into. But you have that. I mean, you have like you have 101 Dalmatians where it's like, you know, it's a movie about dogs. Like it's it seems to be that like a lot of times the cats for these evil are associated with evil. And in this case, she's big, fat and she eats mice. I mean, like she just like is this ultimate eating machines she tries to eat a bat at one point like she's just like she's evil and then you have like toby that's like solving the, the case and is the only reason they actually get anywhere because he he's a very things. good boy he is a very good boy so i feel like there's even a movie called cats versus dogs have you ever seen that movie it is so dumb and i'm obsessed with it is it is it the one where toby mcguire voiced the beagle yes. i actually kind of really like that I know. movie yeah. that when same. I saw it. Actually, I love dumb. Elizabeth Perkins. Okay, good. I'm glad we're all on the same page of being like, actually, that movie's kind of cool. Um, but I feel like <laughs> it's like a it's like a deeply ingrained thing, I feel like. Because I, I like even in like literature and stuff, it's dogs are so loyal. They're like more because cats like as dumb as they can be, like they're a little bit more aloof than dogs. Like dogs are, I think, a little bit more like bred slash like able to be helpful animals and help hunt. And have these. Oh, my dogs are stupid. Oh yeah, <laughs> they run into walls oh, and everything. I, this is and this is just saying like the assumption from like in history, not now. But I feel like they had oh, more yeah, of yeah. A, like a, a human animal bond. Like we'll go out and hunt together and like be in the mud. And then mm-hmm. with cats, they're like very dainty and they stay inside and like they sit on like pretty pretty laps and sleep on cushions and like look. Pissed. They're like associated with witchcraft too. Oh, that's right. Yeah, with, yeah, like, yeah. Black mm-hmm. cats. It is so weird, though. I have a book on my shelf about this I need to read about, like, feminine energy feminine energy in cats and how cats are also, like, often associated with evil women, like cat people, and how, like, the energy that cats have is, like, feminine but also um, menacing. So it is actually really interesting. I mean, I don't think there's, like, a – but then I get – no, actually, what the fuck am I saying? The cat is feminine and Toby's male. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like – 
I mean, again, reading might be reading too much into that. But again, like cats are read as feminine and therefore they're bad. Oh, my God. <laughs> There's a story they right all, there. Guys, we have like six yeah, we, different lines of inquiry that like no one would ever think about. And we just need to write a book now about the greatest which is which is crazy because I feel like this movie is like kind of underseen in like for like modern Disney people. I would agree. I don't think people talk about it that much. I think it kind of gets lumped in with like the Black Cauldron, where yeah. it was, you know these these are the two movies that from the eighties that no one remembers because it's it's like front loaded and end loaded with like Little Mermaid at the end and at the beginning it's like uh, Fox and the Hound, mm, which was true. one of the the biggest like selling uh, Disney movies at the time. Yeah. But there's one character that we haven't even talked about, and I think she is the most precious, and that is Mrs. Judson. Oh my god, I love her! Mm -hmm. The most put-upon member of this poor little family. Her poor pillow's getting shot by the gun. (gasps) My pillows! (laughs) (laughs) Now that I think about it, there are a lot of guns in this movie. There really are. Like, more than I would expect. A lot of mouse guns. Exactly. Who is manufacturing these (laughs) mouse guns? (laughs) They're leftover from the Mouse Wars. <laughs> the Great Mouse Wars of the 1980s that Bayonetta fought in. Oh my god. But um, I do love her as a character, too. Um, she's almost like she's almost like the anchor that keeps Basil down to Earth. Mm-hmm. Just from, like, flying off the deep end. Yeah, and, like, in the Sherlock Holmes, he has a housekeeper all the time, and she's always, like, the most level-headed person that, like, puts him in his place and is like, you need to fucking eat, you need to stop doing this, you need to stop doing that. And it is kind of, I wish she had more of a part in it, a little bit. Yeah. Because she seems like a very interesting, fun I wanted to know more about her as an adult. I don't think I cared as a kid, except that I really wanted her cheese crumpets. But, um, and that's not a euphemism. Was this supposed to kickstart like a franchise or like have a sequel or anything? I feel like this was like primed to do that. I think it was too. Um, but I, I, I honestly think that when they hired Katzenberg and uh, and Eisner to run Disney, that mm-hmm. they just had no desire for this for this movie. That's, that's such a shame too, because. Uh, like you could literally adapt any Sherlock Holmes like story. Like you could have done like an adaptation of like Hound of the Baskervilles where they go yes! after an evil dog. I feel, and it would have yeah. been like so again, the source material's right there. But Oh well now we get a shitty live action version that's probably gonna make me very upset. <laughs> Listen, I am all for witnessing the nightmare fuel that is Miss Kitty in live action. Oh god. <sighs> Um, on that oh, horrifying God. note, <laughs> do we want to give this a rating out of five? <laughs> yes, I'm bored before I start thinking. <laughs> um, so, Terry, how many burlesque showstoppers out of five do you give The Great Mouse Detective? Oh, man. I mean, this was a, a movie that I wore the VH out, VHS tape out as a kid, and I loved it. And as an adult... I also still love it. I think it is one of those Disney movies that's never talked about, and I think it's a shame that it's never talked about. I love our queer family, and I want I wanted them to make more. I think this movie is, is fantastic. I think I would probably give it, ooh, I think four and a half burlesque showstoppers out of five okay. for me. What about you, Mary Beth? I think I'm the same way. Four and a half burlesque showstoppers. I think... 
It is a campy masterpiece that I had never mm. thought of, and it's just so enjoyable and silly, but also scary. And it, it has like this combination of genres that is so fascinating. It's beautiful to look at, and it's just the characters are so much fun, especially mm-hmm. Basil and Radigan. And it's just like the way that everyone is just hamming up these performances is just it feels like they're having fun so you have fun and it just makes yeah. it such a an enjoyably strange experience and i like it even more now as an adult than i did as a kid i think i think i have like a, a deeper appreciation for what it's doing even if it wasn't intentional i don't care what they say like this is such a cool text to look at and i like want to delve into like I started doing research on like 1897 and the Jubilee, but it's just like a fascinating way to look at also like British history and imperialism. Um, anyway, so that's my spiel about that. Uh, Reyna, how many burlesque showstoppers out of five do you give this movie? You have the final word. So despite this movie basically terrifying me as a child and uh, almost refusing to watch it, uh, up until well i was into um, my adulthood um i do find this movie to be one of the best disney animated movies out there um i also have to give it credit where credit is due that if it wasn't for this movie and the creative team behind it i don't think we would have gotten stuff like the disney renaissance um i mean disney was pretty much ready to shut down that animation studio until the little mermaid came along from the same team um that also being said, I do think it is also the best Sherlock Holmes adaptation. Don't come at me. Um, nah, I, I'll, I'll take I, that. I'll accept it. Yeah. I Like, for sure, my favorite Sherlock Holmes adaptation. Um, I would I would give this like a four out of five. Cool. Easy. Easy. Well, thank you so much, Raina, for joining us to talk about The Great Mouse Detective. Where can our listeners find you and what do you have coming up you'd like to share? So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at JFC Doomblade. Um, I have work published pretty regularly on ScreenQueens.com, SciFiFangirls.com, and BloodyDisgusting.com. You can also find my podcast at Horror in Session, where we post episodes weekly. And we have a very exciting December slate coming up for everyone that's listening. Hell yeah. Awesome. Uh, so, listeners, you have heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with the Great Mouse Detective? Were you sexually attracted to Basil? Let us know. You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Steve Barnold for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you to everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.